0: Welcome to the ASPR podcast Inside Conflict with Moritz Ehrmann. So in our previous episode of ASPR's Inside Conflict, we had a fascinating discussion on the implications of Iraq's parliamentary elections, government formation and their implications for Iraq's nascent democracy and the country's stability and welfare. In the course of the next two episodes, we will be discussing the challenges that will be faced by the next government, whatever the final shape it may take. With us are again two eminent experts on Iraqi affairs, um, Ambassador Dr. George Bustin and Mr. Sajad uh, Jihad. Ambassador Dr. George Bustin is an esteemed, uh, retired member of the Hungarian Foreign Service. He has extensive diplomatic experience, including posts uh, uh, as ambassador uh, of Hungary in Libya, Indonesia, and Iran. And very importantly for this discussion, of course, he was from 2011 to 2017 uh, Deputy Special Representative of the United Nations uh, Secretary General uh, with the UN's mission in Iraq, UNAMI. Currently, Ambassador Bustin is a visiting research professor at the National University of Singapore's uh, Middle East Institute. Before that, he was a most valuable consultant uh, for the ASPR's activities in Iraq. Most welcome to you, Ambassador.
1: Thank you very much, Mr. Director, and I'm very appreciative of you inviting me.
0: Mr. Uh, Sajjad Jihad, uh, on the other hand, is an Iraqi political analyst analyst based in Baghdad. His focus is on public policy and governance in Iraq, and he also works on capacity building of public institutions and civil society organizations. Mr. Jihad is a fellow at the Century International and director of the Shia Politics Working Group. He is the former managing director of the Al Bayan Center, an Iraqi policy institute, and he also served as a visiting fellow at the European Council on Foreign Relations. Welcome also to you, Mr. Dziad.
2: Thank you, Maurits, looking forward to the discussion.
0: Yes, so in this episode, uh, we will be discussing uh, mainly about the challenges that uh, will be faced by any uh, incoming new uh, Iraqi government. Um and one uh, i guess very pressing issue uh, that has been around for for quite a while and that will certainly continue uh, to be in front of any new uh, Iraqi government is the question of the future of the popular mobilization forces. Um so the current gov- uh, the current outgoing government has ho- has had a lot of challenges uh, related to uh to these groups, Um, what uh, do you expect uh, a next government uh, to be able to do about this uh, this problematic? Um, So questions like um, integrating uh, different militia units into regular forces, uh, perhaps disarming some others. Dealing with the ones that uh, seemingly do not want to integrate uh, in any of the uh, above-described uh, ways, what 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 comes to your mind about this very complicated uh, issue? Um, perhaps, uh, uh, Sajad, since since you're in Baghdad, let us let us start with you.
2: Thanks, Mark. It's so a good question. I think uh, we have to keep in mind that the PMF is a formal institution. It is uh, governed by a law, and it is a permanent institution. It's not going to be replaced. I don't think any of the forces in it are going to be integrated into the army or police. You know, this is something that we have to look at in a sort of very long term. Um, by and large, the PMF has um, taken quite a bit of time. They've been very slow in their progress in terms of making sure they can uh, integrate the forces within the PMF properly. They're made up of various groups more than 50, 60 groups now. And the idea was how to sort of homogenize the PMF, how to get sort of clear strategy on command and control. What are the lines of, uh, of command as well within the various brigades? And that has been sort of slow going. It hasn't been done uh, properly and fully yet. There are still obviously the political connections where you have parties who are vying for seats in parliament. And at the same time, they have an armed doing, which is represented in the PMF, severing that connection has been difficult and slow going. Uh, But for the future, I think what we can expect is a clear sort of line to be drawn between groups who are in the PMF and nominally under the control of the prime minister and groups that have popped up, uh, maybe they are fronts, maybe they are sort of a new extremist type groups that are outside the PMF. And the government is very likely to tackle the second um, but will struggle to deal with the groups who are already in the PMF who are causing problems for the government. Uh, you know, Groups have been mentioned like al Hezbollah, Asab Al-Haq and a few others who have even sort of threatened the prime minister, have been very critical of him. That's where the real challenge is. What do you do with groups that are formally part of the Iraqi armed forces? They're not you know, sort of just groups who are um, attacking uh, various interests. They are formally part of, of the security forces. And that's where I think the government has struggled so far, the the past three governments. And certainly I can see that being a challenge for future governments. As for the second part, the groups who are operating outside the PMF, the new groups, the criminal elements especially, I think those, uh, the next government will probably take a harder line than the previous ones, uh, especially if it is sort of backed by the Sadrists, Mokhtar Sadr, who has been very critical of these groups. I think we can can expect... um, more sort of military security activity, but also I think there'll be a push on the military front to sever the connections and support for these groups, whether it is from Iran or whether it is from other groups inside Iraq. The idea is to, you know, go after these groups as criminal elements, to separate them off from, you know, the rest of the um, armed groups that we have inside the country. Uh, Long term, you know, the idea of reintegration, I think, is um, is a challenge. I don't think it's realistic. I don't think DDR or SSR is Entirely realistic either. I think, you know, like I say, these are groups that are going to be here for the long term and they are sanctioned by law. Uh, you know, they are here to exist as part of the security forces. But I think also the, the demilitarization of society as a whole is, is a key goal. You know, um, if you I, I travel regularly, I'm in Basra, I was in Basra recently, and you know, I travel up to Mosul and others. There is a lot of military presence and under various guises, whether it's the police, the army, the PMF, the local defense forces, you know. Um, local police, for example, just too much. And sometimes, you know, the responsibility is unclear. If something goes wrong, who is responsible? Is it the governor? Is it the prime minister? Is it the minister of defense? Is it the local sort of police commander or local army commander? And the friction that we have between these groups is evident. And the fact that we have also, for example, Turkish military presence in the Kurdistan region, uh, airstrikes taking place in northern part of Iraq, near Sinjar, for example, where multiple groups are competing. The presence of unauthorized forces, like the PKK, for example, and their supporters in, in, inside Iraq. Or PMF groups uh, who are operating in areas where they really shouldn't be. They are no longer required to be there, or they're not acting under the direction and command of the prime minister. So part of that is also sort of the, too many forces in the country and the demilitarization of society, checkpoints. Um, frequently that hinder the movement of people. And yet at the same time, despite having sort of over a million people in the uh, security forces and armed forces, we still have problems with facing ISIS, Daesh. Uh, they're very active in many parts of the country. So it's how do we have so many groups? How do we have so many people who have weapons officially you know, for the st- working for the state? And at the same time, we struggle with terrorism. We struggle with Daesh. We struggle with all these other um, military and security issues. And I think that's something that, again, uh, you know, we have to sort of work on a strategic level. Yes, we have a problem with specific groups, but we also have a problem in our military and security strategy. It's not sort of conducted in a cohesive manner. And I think the next few governments will struggle with this.
0: Thanks a lot, Giard. I mean, this was enormously uh, comprehensive analysis. Probably not very easy for, for Dr. George uh, to build on this. Um, I will, perhaps to make it a bit easier for you, uh, I will add another layer of complication to, to this discussion. Um, Sajad also mentioned, already mentioned it. Um, the popular mobilization forces as, uh, as such as an institution were of course formed uh, in response to the uh, invasion of the so-called Islamic State. Now one can say that the, the, the so-called Islamic state has been defeated uh, on a territorial in a territorial sense. Um, yet they are still about and still staging things like uh, prison, ex- uh, prison uh, breaks um, uh, attacks against the military uh, attacks against civilians. Um, so on the background uh, of this um, how do you see uh, sort of uh, possible uh, recent resurgence um, of the activities of uh, the, the so-called Islamic State um, and the relation to the problematic uh, of the of the of the PMF in the sense that uh, Sajad uh, uh, described? Uh,
1: thank you very much. I was also listening uh, to uh, Sajad with great interest and uh, congratulate him on uh, providing us. Uh, uh, such an elaborate description of what are the pr- problems surrounding the PMF. However, and even before I answer your question, let me hark back to one element of Sajad's description, and this is the implications of uh, the existence of the PMF, even as it is uh, uh, an organization in principle legitimized by law and belonging under the Prime Minister. I think there is a fundamental problem here, that uh, Iraqi society has very serious doubts about uh, certain elements of the PMF and uh, the rationale behind uh, the PMF as such. Uh, In any country, an army is created to protect the borders from outside enemies. The police and the security organizations are meant to take care of internal order. Anything in between is uh, in a very precarious situation because it would be very difficult to legitimize. And let me also go back to uh, the latest elections in Iraq which were meant to be a watershed moment because they were meant to open a new phase in the country's progress. However, and very sadly, only about 30% of all Iraqis participated. And one reason that I keep hearing from my Iraqi interlocutors on this very low participation is exactly uh, the fear and the resentment that the people felt towards uh, the uh, the armed groups, be, it, be the armed groups blessed by the state or armed groups, non-state actors outside the uh, the realm of the state. However, I think the PMF played a significant and important role, we cannot deny it, in the initial phase of the struggle against uh, ISIS uh, before uh, the anti-ISIS coalition could really uh, play its role in combating terrorism. However, now uh, the uh, balance sheet is becoming more doubtful. I think one of the important and very significant achievements of Iraq is building democracy, building up democratic institutions. Anything that impedes this process is harmful for Iraq. And sadly, this is something that the politicians of Iraq cannot uh, consider enough because as we know, uh, the PMF and uh, let me, add here that I fully understand that uh, our distinguished interlocutor Sajad was economic on talking about this. The PMF is tied in uh, many, many ways to a neighbor country. And uh, in this regard, of course, I know that there are differences inside the organization. However, the general Iraqi social perspective on the PMF is also influenced by by this fact. And here, of course, I have to say that if we would like to see Iraq progress to the next elections with a clear determination that the level of participation would be high and that uh, all Iraqis would feel inclined to have a say in the process, then the next government should make sure to find a solution to this problem. In other words, there will be no free and fair elections in Iraq under the threat of arms, whoever those arms will belong to. And here, I let me again uh, come back to your question, Moritz, when you ask about whether or not the resurgence of ISIL is uh, somehow related to the, the performance of the PMF. I don't think that this is a PMF problem. I think that uh, the ISIS resurgence has to do uh, more with the uh, unaddressed problems of the justice system, the unaddressed problems of social grievances and the whole unaddressed problem of how regionalism and sectarianism is being treated. I wish and hope that the new government will have answers because these answers are missing for a very long time, actually since 2014 and even before. Because what caused the resurgence, the appearance, and then the uh, the amazing uh, sweep of uh, ISIL over one third of Iraq was exactly the marginalization that the Sunni community in Iraq felt. And uh, I am lost to say, and I regret it very much. I have to say this: that most of these problems are still being unaddressed. And uh, let us hope that uh, the new government will have answers and that it will be a government inclusive enough to uh, have the means and ways to tackle these problems meaningfully.
0: Yeah, uh, thank you very much. Uh, You you already pointed to uh, another set of challenges that uh, the Iraqi government and state has uh, faced for quite a while, and will continue to face in the, in the future, um, which is the problematic uh, relating to questions of, on the one hand, reconstruction uh, of areas that have been affected by the conflict uh, with the IS, um, and at the same time, so reconstruction, of course, in the physical sense, but also in the sense of uh, reconstructing society or reconciling uh, society. Um, which is an effort that takes often place on a, on a very local level. So, um, amongst, for example, in the province of Nineveh, uh, those who uh, supported uh, or seemingly supported the uh, uh, IS uh, regime, when, regime when it was there, and those who had to run away, either because they opposed it or because they were of groups that were simply not uh, uh, ethnic or religious. That were simply not uh, tolerated by uh, this uh, organization. Um, Sajad, uh, coming back to you, how do you see uh, this process uh, uh, evolving? Um, it's a very cumbersome and, and slow process. How 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 do you see how do you see this going forward in the the next months and uh, and years?
2: Well, I think the, you know, the issues with governance are long-standing; They're not new. And um, as just mentioned, I think they will continue for quite a while. We struggle with local governance. We struggle with making few people feel uh, that they are citizens of the country, that there is a government that actually cares about them, that um, resources are distributed amongst the population equally, that rule of law is intact, that grievances will be addressed, that the justice system works. The average Iraqi citizen does not feel any of these things. They feel like there's flaws in every one of these. So therefore, they have to rely on their tribe, their religious leader, their political leader, their sort of neighborhood uh, chief. They have to rely on everything but the state to compensate for the state's weakness in providing good governance. And this extends to you know everything: services, you know, water, schools, health, roads, uh, finding economic opportunities, jobs, reconstruction, as you mentioned, and so many other elements. People just feel the state is not there for them, whether it's right at the local level or it's at the federal level. It's the same result: people feel that there is no real government to provide for them, and that's why they have to turn to some of these other groups. And I think uh, the longer term issue is that people will continue to not trust the government to provide. And therefore, when a group pops up like ISIS, like Daesh, some people feel like this is an alternative, maybe viable, maybe not, but they feel that this is an alternative and they must consider it. And therefore, you feel, you know, some people join not because they're uh, ideologues, not because they believe in the ideology of groups like Daesh, but because they get a job they offer them a job as a driver, as a courier, as a cook, as a you know, um, as anything else. So they provide farmers with with some income, um, and you know they make use of their lands or their their products. And that desperation that people have, I think it's probably going to increase. We have a demographic issue in the country; our population rises by over a million people per year. The large majority of the Iraqi population. Uh, is is uh, you know under the age of 30, over 60% are under the age of 30. We have over 5 million people, not in education, employment or training, uh, who are under the age of 30. They have nothing, they have nowhere to go and nothing to do. Uh, poverty is widespread from North to South and our struggles with water and electricity are well documented. I don't think they will, those things will improve in the short term. I think they will get worse. And as that happens, then there is more space, obviously, for extremism. There is more space for non-state actors to sort of step in. One of the things that the country must do is take advantage of high oil prices and immediately use some of that wealth to sort of spend on infrastructure, to make investment conditions better so that foreign investors can come into the country, to uh, sort of give more capacity to local governments, to the governors and to, to local departments to quickly get people to work whether it's reconstruction, whether it's rebuilding schools, whether it's getting hospitals open, whether it's improving transport routes, but to show to show that they're making an effort to try to improve these things. If not, and people see all prices at $100, and yet, you know, in Mosul, several neighborhoods are still sort of flattened. You know, there is complete carnage and damage, and it just looks like it's come out of a war. Of course, people will feel that there's something you know, wrong, and therefore this current system is corrupt and needs to be replaced. And if there is an alternative it could be Daesh, it could be others, then people will seek that alternative. And so I think governance is at the heart of the issue, and it's what led to grievances in the past. But also, if you look at what's happening in the southern part of Iraq, you know the protests that keep breaking out, people just feel that they are marginalized, that they have nothing and the government cares not, not about them. I mean, there hasn't been a war in, in Nasiriyah and, and parts of Basra and others for many years now, but it looks in some parts like they just came out of a war. Roads are not there. Schools are, are not functioning. Water systems are not functioning. Electricity is down. And it just looks like, you know, there is no government. And I think that will lead to more anger. And as I say, these millions of young people with nothing to do. I think they will sort of start start to seek more aggressive means of protest or of uh, you know confronting the state. And that could only spell disaster in the medium to long term, in my view.
0: Thanks a lot, uh, Sajjad. Again, a very, very comprehensive uh, answer to to the question. Um, George, uh, perhaps if uh, building on that um, and thinking about uh, sort of issues uh, that need to be tackled in society beyond sort of practical uh, governance-related measures, which are, of course, a very strong part of the of the grievances and of the uh, rifts in in society. But how about sort of the the very direct um, acts of reconciliation that need to happen between the different parts, the different segments uh, of of Iraqi society? How do you see that uh, situation progressing and going forward?
1: Uh, Well, thank you. I I see uh, some glimmer of hope. Uh, The general picture, of course, uh, is not encouraging, and I agree with uh, Sajjad. All analysts, when talking about Iraq, can enumerate a full catalogue of issues and problems and what should be done. And we know perfectly well that these matters uh, cannot be addressed at one go. Uh, However, let us not deny that Iraq has progressed in certain areas, in a very encouraging way. And I believe that uh, the uh, former sectarian narrative that was so typical of the country uh, during and after the years of ISIL uh, has diminished. uh, And this is a very good sign. I believe that uh, what we see today as attempts at a coalition building are uh, very much uh, based on uh, this positive process, which has uh, created uh, some semblance of dialogue between these previously totally disparate groups, which were um, not even in a, uh, in a national or a broad national dialogue. I believe that uh, today, uh, a new government uh, will have a much better position in terms of uh, uh, seeking out those topics where Iraqis can be brought together. And uh, let us us hope that uh, uh, the regional environment will also be conducive. Here I have to, of course, uh, say a word about uh, the ongoing uh, talks between uh, Iran and its international partners, on uh, renegotiating uh, the uh, nuclear agreement. I think it will have a beneficial effect uh, on uh, Iraq and it will help uh, the kind of reconciliation uh, that we are hoping for inside Iraqi society. Having said that, I believe that there is still a very high level of marginalization. And uh, we have seen a bright moment uh, last year when um, Pope Francis paid a visit uh, to Iraq. Um, This was a very symbolic visit, uh, but uh, both the visit and his uh, meeting with Grand Ayatollah Sistani uh, carried a glimmer of hope, uh, not only for the Christians of Iraq, but essentially for all other minority groups that uh, had to face uh, the very harsh realities of the previous years. I think all Iraqis uh, now come to understand that the country is not the exclusive monopoly of uh, just one group. And uh, uh, this might also facilitate uh, a re-engagement that uh, spans uh, wider segments of society and spans the regional issues. Let us not forget that sadly, uh, a major divide between uh, two uh, essential components of Iraqi society, Arabs and Kurds, is still untreated. I believe that uh, if and when there will be a common will to address the outstanding issues, and we have seen the uh, Supreme Federal Court making this very bold decision on the fate of of oil in Kurdistan. I do not argue with uh, what the court has said, But I also have to add that such a decision can only be implemented if there is a very high degree of trust between those two components. And that trust, sadly, is missing. I will not want to say uh, whose mistake this is, but uh, it will take a lot of hard effort to reconcile uh, those interests which are currently in conflict. And of course, uh, we can also say that other regionalisms uh, inside Iraq are also adding to the complexity of the problem. We are very well aware that the South is resentful and justly resentful about uh, the distribution of development funds. And uh, uh, I have to agree with Sajad. And sadly, my own personal experience when visiting the South uh, was, uh, uh, was very dismal and very sad because I have seen no progress. During my six years spent in Iraq, I have seen no progress whatsoever in the South. And this is an affront uh, and a, a, a gross injustice to the people of the South who are major contributors to the welfare of Iraq. So I can tell you that the picture is uh, uh, of course gloomy, but it is not bereft of hope. and. Uh, with a growing sense of national responsibility in uh, all sectors of Iraqi society and uh, more confidence, let us hope, uh, in the political process after a new government has been ushered in and hopefully it will be an inclusive government, uh, these problems can gradually be addressed together with all the other problems that uh, Jihad has been referring to.
0: Thanks a lot, uh, Ambassador George. Uh, this was a very good uh, ending point to, to our discussion. It's always good to end of, uh, on a note uh, of hope. Um, and certainly, I mean, what you what you pointed out in terms of uh, at least the narratives that did so much to, to fuel uh, the conflicts uh, of the past have greatly nuanced. Um, And indeed, in very practical terms, the fact that the oil price, which is such a major part of the uh, Iraqi uh, national income, uh, is at such a height. um, And just remember comparing it to uh, two years ago in uh, the midst of uh, 2020, when it was less than half of what it is today. This is indeed something that we can only hope for the the government uh, would capitalize on. I thank uh, both of you very much for this extremely uh, comprehensive and informative uh, discussion. We will keep discussing uh, on the sort of more uh, geopolitical side uh, of, of Iraqis uh, affairs in the next episode. So looking forward to, to continue, continuing the discussion with you soon, goodbye. Subscribe to our podcast or visit the website insideconflict.com. For more information about the work of the ASPR, visit aspr.ac.at.
2: Until next time.